What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. We're going to jump pretty quickly in today's episode, but there are a few important things to do first. We're just coming off the heels of our uh, annual uh, remembrance holiday pause moment here in Canada for uh, Truth and Reconciliation Day, sometimes referred to as Orange Shirt Day here on September 30th, where people wear orange and honor um, a story that was told about a girl who went to a residential school in Canada and her grandmother had gotten her a brand new orange shirt and when she got to the school it was taken from her and she never saw it again and that is one small story that displays um, in a metaphoric kind of way what was taken from Canada's indigenous people through the residential schooling process through really uh, as what often was referred to as a cultural genocide but sometimes we could just say a genocide an erasure of a people group and we just want to honor this uh, this day this moment this kind of budding season that we have here in September in Canada where we pause to to remember uh, what has happened but also look forward at all of the hope and all of the resilience of Canada's indigenous community and we want to just say um, that Zach and I and you know the team here at A Little More Good, we stand in solidarity with our Indigenous sisters and brothers and Two-Spirit people and just say um, we're continuing and committed to learning and unlearning and relearning and we uh, acknowledge that this podcast is brought to you by um, us sitting here on the unceded lands, the stolen lands of the Musqueam people. Specifically, they had many, many seasonal and semi-permanent uh, shelters here in villages here. One actually literally in Steveston, a couple by Terranova and one in uh, West Richmond, kind of by the uh, airports, Palakwax uh, community. And so we honor them. We thank them uh, for preserving this beautiful land for teaching us the values of interconnectedness, um, seeing things from a perspective of multiple multiple generations. And yeah, we're just committed to learning and unlearning and honoring and remembering and celebrating all that is in the dynamic, diverse nations of people uh, within Canada here. So just a, just a quick shout out at the top of the episode of something that's important to us and hopefully it's important to all of you as you listen. Whew. There we go. Something to to sit with. Uh, thank you for sharing that, that Dean. I think you captured that. Well, it's a time to to unlearn, relearn, sit and and listen. And uh, you know, us as as you know, settlers on on this land, as the the people that have benefited from colonization, it's sometimes our our space to to not say anything to just listen and to to hear what uh the indigenous people and the nations that have been on this land for since you know time beginning have have to say absolutely yeah so uh yeah just just a posture of openness and gratitude for um for this day, for this opportunity as a country to pause and reflect and remember and move forward towards reconciliation so yeah, important orders of business for sure. We're also uh, really grateful um, to this week's episode sponsors that we can have a podcast, that we can share things like the importance of truth and reconciliation and share these conversations that we have with inspiring people. Um, and yeah, like I said, fall is often a time where we start to warm up and focus in and we look at these different events, Truth and Reconciliation Day. Um, there's in Canada, we have Thanksgiving Day coming up and it's a busy season that happens and, you know, holidays, these things, they all come at us and we have different relationships with each one of them for sure. But there's no doubt that we're settling into fall. Um, but we want to remind you 
that the change in weather shouldn't let you, uh, shouldn't stop you from sticking to your habits and being the best version of yourself. It's easy to be outside, staying fit, staying active in the summer, different so when the weather turns. But even with your skincare routine, you got to stay on that. It doesn't take a break. And that's where our friends at Caldera Lab come in. These guys are the best in the skincare game with an easy routine. Keep your face looking real good no matter your schedule. Plus, there's no better gift than clear skin. So if you have someone with like a birthday coming up, or like I said, you know, we start to think about the holidays, even though it's early. I know, I know, but it's true. You can join 100,000 other men who have already made the commitment and trust Caldera Lab to show your best self. Make your first impression and feel good this fall and all the way into winter. And yeah, just um, it is a great gift, honestly. Um, we love this stuff. Honestly, it's so good. Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skincare products with the regimen that leads off their product lineup. It's a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. You got the clean slate, wash your face. It's an amazing face wash that leaves you feeling refreshed. The base layer is a daily moisturizer that you're going to want to get, and it's my personal favorite. The Good is your go-to multifunctional serum. You put it on before bed. It helps your skin look tighter and smoother and reduces the visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. And this serum is packed with 3.4 million antioxidants that protect your skin. It's amazing. We love it. Caldera Lab is a great partner. We love their products. They really, really work. It's a noticeable difference in how your skin looks and feels. And we have a great offer for you. Just for you, our audience, we have an exclusive deal and you're not going to beat this offer. Use our code MOREGOOD at calderalab.com and get 20% off right now. That's 20% off with our code MOREGOOD at calderalab.com. Make an unforgettable first impression this holiday season, this fall season, and get after it with Caldera Lab. There we go, Dina. Before we roll into this episode with the amazing Rachel Rose, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, AG1. Oof, AG1 is honestly the cornerstone to my morning routine. I'm becoming increasingly a person of habit and ritual. And honestly, AG1 is like the first thing I do after waking up and coming downstairs, fill up my bottle with some nice cool water, a scoop of AG1. I put it in there, I shake it. I just take it into my system. And I know that as I'm doing that, I'm protecting and nourishing my body from the inside out. It's the first thing that hits my system, and that's very intentional. That's the best way to drink AG1. Make it part of your daily routine and know that you're getting 75 high-quality ingredients, vitamins, minerals, probiotics, prebiotics, adaptogens, all of these things that are going to support your immunity. You couldn't ask for a better kind of like back pocket sort of security system, especially moving into fall. You know, it's cold season, it's flu season. Give yourself every advantage you can have by staying active, staying healthy, and supporting your immune system and your overall health with this incredible product. We trust it. We love it. We use it every day. AG1, you're going to want to get on it. And Zach, tell us how we can get it. If you go to drinkag1.com slash good you'll get five free travel packs with your first purchase and a year's supply of essential vitamin D and K2. So check that out. Uh, for myself, it's it's replaced a whole cupboard full of multivitamins, multiminerals, antioxidants, superfood blends, phytonutrients, green blends, adaptogens, digestive enzymes, prebiotics, probiotics, symbiotics, mushrooms, all those things. So that's uh, all in one and you're done. You don't need to stack your cupboard with all those things. So head to drinkag1.com slash more good and sign up for your AG1 subscription today. There you go. 
We're really excited to share this episode with you today. Um, We had an incredible conversation with author Rachel Rose. She has a book called Creating Stillness, Mindful Art Practices and Stories for Navigating Anxiety, Stress and Fear. And I don't care who you are, where you come from, we all have experienced those things, stress from a job, stress from a situation, anxiety about something new, anxiety about a relationship, and of course, facing fears. These are things that happen to all of us, some of us in increasingly uh, complex and regular ways. And um, Rachel really created an incredible book, an incredible resource to help us through the mediums of art to identify things, practices that can name these stressors, these anxious moments, and can also give us tools to help kind of combat some of these things. Some of them are, are ways that you might think of, you know, with, with typical mediums. Others of them are going out into nature and creating something just for the sake of creating and using what you find around you and getting connected to place and land. And honestly, it was such an incredible conversation. And Rachel is truly a gift. And we we're so grateful to be able to share space with her and hear a bit more about her story and her practice and, and this book that she's created as a resource for so many of us. There we go. On to this week's episode with the amazing Rachel Rose. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. We're really excited to be sitting down today uh, across the provinces here. You're just next door to us with our guest, Rachel Rose, coming to us live from uh, just in Calgary or just outside of Calgary? Calgary. Calgary. All right. Sounds good. And uh, Rachel, um, we're so glad to have you on. You've written a book called Creating Stillness, Mindful Art Practices and Stories for Navigating Anxiety, Stress and Fear, which if you're a person alive and awake during this time that we're in, we've probably all experienced some level of anxiety, stress and fear. Um, And we're so thankful to have you on, Rachel. Uh, You're an educator, writer, contemplative artist using mindfulness practices uh, with the creative arts. You have a master's degree in adult education focusing on art-based research and transforming learning. Um, A registered expressive arts consultant and educator and yeah, so many other things, mom, partner, (laughs) creative person in the world, just wanting to continue to learn and grow and evolve yourself. So we're so thankful to have you on today and to talk about your book, Creating Stillness. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. I really love the work that you guys are doing. We were just talking before. I'm very much aligned with with the topics and the things that you're talking about. So it's a pleasure to to chat with you both. Yeah, definitely. And and we wanna we wanna get into some of those things that we were talking about in the pre pod. But you know, one of the things that really grabbed me uh, in reading your book, just in the introduction, um, you know, because I thought about looking at the cover and understanding, you know, mindfulness and art. And sometimes people are like, well, those are cool things, but like you know, I'm not like much of a meditator, you know, or that's not part of my practice, or I'm not creative. Like, I'm sure, you know, you've had that conversation a thousand times when inviting someone to participate in something creative. Well, I'm not, I'm not an artist. I'm not creative. But the one thing that really stood out to me is you said that, you know, like all of us in the world have experienced some sort of pain or whatever. And and you call these things like our holes, right? Like things that are missing from ourselves and that, you know, our holes are the things that actually unify us, offering a sort of collective humbling where we each acknowledge that integral to being human is living with these holes and remembering to see them in one another and recognizing that though we might not, you know, see ourselves as an artist or a creative or a contemplative, we can see ourselves 
as someone who's felt small, persistent pain, as you say, deep down within us, and that maybe we found ways to like live around it, which mm-hmm. in and of itself is kind of a creative act, right? I experienced this pain, but I'm going to find a way to live around it. And so how do you invite people in to, um, yeah, like experience what it's like to be creative, to have this creative outlet around these things of like fear and anxiety or like what's the jump off? What got you into marrying these two concepts? Yeah, I mean, like, honest to God, true practicality in terms of who I am as a person, I would say, right? I mean, you're right. People might have been dabbled in mindfulness and maybe struggled or had success or whatever, or people might feel themselves as creative or understand or see that that creativity. You know, we think of capital A artists as painting and performers and that sort of thing. But, you know, creating businesses, cooking, gardening, all of those things can be in the creative realm. No human being on earth is is not ever creating something. We're always making something out of out of nothing. And so, I mean, that, that aside, that argument aside, whether or not you identify as a creative person or a contemporary person. Um, nonetheless, we all are kind of living in this, this realm of, of experiencing life, right? And through, you know, I use that metaphor of holes, right? And walking down the street and kind of if we could see each other's holes, like some people would have bigger holes within them, and some people would have little holes and that sort of thing, this notion that there's something that binds us and brings us together. So for me, uh, you know, just as a human being who's getting kind of roughed up in life, I'm like, okay, I should, I should practice mindfulness, like this will be good for me, right? And so I you know, sat down and I was like, I'm going to do this. And then I found I'm really struggling with this. I don't know if I'm doing it right. You know, all that kind of internal chatter shows up where you're like, I don't, is this what it's supposed to feel like? Like, am I even doing this right? Everybody says it's so good for me. And then, you know, my anxiety would kind of spiral. But I kind of stayed with it because I was on this contemplative path. I I would, I didn't want to relate to my suffering, uh, my anxiety, my stress, all that sort of, I was, I was, I was moved into linking into some trying to figure out a bigger way to do this. Right. And so all along the side, I always had this creative practice, this piece where I was always, you know, like I was in the performing arts for a long time. I write, I do visual arts, I do embroidery, I do land-based arts. Like I, and then I have these stories about how, why can't you just commit to one thing? Like, are you an artist or not? Right. So then what was interesting for me is when I found the tools and the resources and the mentors that helped me bring those two pieces together, I started to realize, well, that's my way of understanding the holes for me, right? That was my awareness, right? So I'm struggling to sit still on the cushion. But when I sit down with pen and paper, I can see all that stuff that I'm that I'm seeing on the cushion, right? Mm -hmm. So it really, I always think about like expressive or creative expression and really anything you're doing, whether it's starting a business or, or going for a run or anything, all of that mental chatter, all of that stuff of who we are shows up and it's an opportunity for us to observe it in that place, right? So we make the the boundary around it. We say, when I sit down to make something, I'm going to really notice who I am when I show up with this. I'm going to notice, we're, we're familiar in the creative world with like the inner critic or that sort of thing, right? And that's one aspect of it. But that inner critic shows up, you know, when you're sitting down to do this podcast, right? Like, I don't know, are we having the right guests? Or should we be more like this? Or, you know, all of that sort of thing, right? So it's just an opportunity to show up. So for me, I just started to make that connection and was had wonderful mentors and people to support me to do that. And I feel like I'm really just in the beginning of stage of being able to kind of 
own how I'm doing that for myself and how to support other people to do that too, right? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I, I love it. So you've been an artist and a creative person. And then you mentioned like you began this contemplative journey. Like what was the, what was kind of the impetus or the catalyst to say, okay, I'm going to not just like, and not necessarily like fuse it with, with art. Like it sounds like that kind of came later, but what was yeah. the, what was the moment where you're like, you know what? I think I need a practice of creating stillness or entering into mindfulness. Like what was the thing that tipped you into that experience? Yeah. Yeah. So for me personally, I think I have had the experience. I'm 41 right now. You know, I got married young when I was like in my my late 20s and had a child and I thought I was doing everything right and kind of moving in all those right directions. And then I found like, wow, I've got this like this well of anxiety that just won't quit, right? Like I'm really unhappy in my life, right? What's going on? And so that all kind of shook out into like divorce and separation and all that kind of stuff, right? So then it was like the, the honeymoon phase of like, <laughs> being a human perhaps right where you're like oh i thought everything was good you know not that everything was perfect and i had all this anxiety but where i was like oh okay something is going on and i'm, I'm not able to just like white knuckle my way through life anymore like what am i going to do with this and i think that was like a pretty pivotal time in my life because i could have turned to other coping mechanisms like i was on a career track and those sorts of things i could have i could have tuned out to that kind of wake-up call but rather I tuned in, right? And I was like, okay, if I'm gonna, if I don't want to have this well of anxiety, if I want to be in relationship, if I want to be the mother I'm going to be, then what, what do I need to do that? And I think for me, that's where I realized that creativity was a true resource for me. And I think about that with the clients and the people that I work with too, is there's people who have often felt called to creative work or expression or whatever it might be. And it's like an untapped resource in our lives that's ready and able and willing for you to help it make become a resource for you right like a place that you go to to help figure your stuff out rather than have it become part of your stuff right so um for me that was that was the wake-up call right mm. just kind of circling back um I, I love this merger of creativity and and mindfulness and healing um kind of the visual when you describe people walking around with their holes was, was kind of just sticking with me. I could just mm. picture myself walking down a busy street. I know you mentioned you were just in New York with, uh, with your son and just like it almost visualizes like a kid's cartoon with me, just walking down the street, seeing all these different holes, some of them big, some of them small, some of them skinny, some of them wide. Um, mm. And it, I think it's really a connecting point that we do have all of these holes and um, if we could share that, not necessarily lead with it, but just be open to that vulnerability and that reality that we do have holes and it's part of the human experience, I think it can become a beautiful thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I know it's like part of the healing process of your book. But when I think about holes, you know, you think of the black hole is like the big one and that's maybe where all life started or, you know, to, to garden, you know, you need to dig a hole to, to plant you know, a flower or um, some kale or, or, you know, life starts in the garden by digging a bit of a hole. And um, I just want to almost encourage people to explore that, to just kind of let that simmer and like go into where their holes are and allow that mm -hmm. to be like a, a point of communication versus like a point of something that they try to fill up and cover and, and hide. Mm -hmm. Um I think it'd be a beautiful thing if we just all walked around and shared our holes with each other. 
it's like this beautiful compassion metaphor, right? Where it's yeah. just like this recognition of this equal footing that we're on. And, you know, like, it's interesting for me in the content to, to hear, like, it's the opening part of the book, right? But it is one of the first things I wrote in the book. And I didn't really know where it was going to sit. And I remember at one point, my editor and I were like, is this too dark? Like, is it okay to start with this notion of like, everybody's walking around with holes in them? And, you know, but then we were like, no, but that's actually what this book is about, right? Is really seeing those and recognizing those with people. And so it's interesting for me to see and hear this, that, that, that metaphor of the whole is kind of what's staying with people too, right? That it helps create the framework because that in and of itself is a is a symbol. It's a metaphor, right? And that's a lot of what I'm talking about in the book is this is how sense making happens, right? When we put an image to something, when we create language for something, when something that is very complex and very large, now we have settled on this notion of a whole, right? And and already you have linked it to this beautiful idea of like gardening and, you know, these other things. And so that, that in and of itself kind of is an example to me of how this creative knowing, this expressive kind of way of us being helps us do this sense making, right? As now we have a language and an image that holds so much more than we could even talk about with what what our holes might be right yeah i mean we could even flip it like going back to our our ancestral days of being cavemen or neanderthals or whatever like holes were caves and mountains and those holes represented home and shelter mm-hmm. and safety mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be something negative it can actually be something safe to like go really? into our holes and like even on uh on a humanistic side, I was listening to, um, um, I might get his name wrong, Yuri Haval, the Sapiens author. Yeah. And, yeah. and he was talking about um, kind of the, some of the worries of the AI becoming such a prevalent thing. And mm-hmm. he was kind of talking about how suffering is what makes us human. Um, so that is our separating point from us and AI is the human's ability to suffer versus if AI is able to suffer, then it has a conscious uh, conscience, and it's like it that that right now is what makes us what we are is our ability to suffer and to to have these these holes that you kind of speak of. That's so that's so wise, right? Because I I just as you're saying that, I'm trying to think. I saw something online. This is the context collapse of being online, but somebody was talking. It was an artist who was talking about AI, and it was like AI is never going to make like great art because AI can't suffer. Basically exactly what you're saying he's saying, right? Is that like, it's only going to be an aggregate of like the algorithm of whatever, you know, we've put forward because it won't actually have ever experienced those depths and, you know, those holes, those sorts of things, right? So so what, what could it truly show us that that would be pushing the envelope and moving on? I wish I could remember who it was, but it was an artist that was saying that was like, I'm not worried about that. Like it's, it can't suffer. Yeah. And, and in some ways, like that's the beauty of it. And I, I do love that you opened the book with this because in some ways it's like on one level, it's very disarming to recognize like this is this is all of us, right? Mm-hmm. This is everybody's walking around with something. And it's kind of like you said, it, it levels the playing field. It shows us as, as equal with all the other people, even the people who seem to have it all put together and everything's going on. The Instagram is like the highlight reel and da-da-da. We know 
that at the end of the day, like we've all got stuff. And so yeah. it's like, it's kind of disarming and humbling and equalizing to say, yeah, we're all, we're all carrying something. We all have these pieces that we wish were maybe more full. But then the flip side of that is like that, you know, I read a book uh, once by, by a theologian, uh, Henry Nowen, and he talks about this, this idea of like the wounded healer and that like mm-hmm. by, from our wounds healing themselves, you know, and over time, the work that we do to, to heal the, you know, in a sense, the holes that we have, uh, we can then help others because we can say, hey, like, yeah, this is the path that I walked. Maybe some part of it could be helpful to you in walking forward and, and, and healing. And when we hide those things, we don't, we miss opportunities to share our humanity. And, and, you know, similarly, like to AI, it can create cool art, but it's never going to create something that's like super arresting because it's yeah. missing that human element. And I think that when we lead with, not just like a bloodletting of like, oh, here's all my problems, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. when we can be honest about it and say, here are some things that I'm working through, uh, it can be helpful and healing to ourselves, but also to others. And and I love that it's not, a, as much as it is our own journey, it's a, our own journey in community to help ourselves and to help others. So I think it's just, yeah. it's really deeply profound. And I really relate to what you're saying too about that. There's a, because um, that's kind of, the approach that I feel comfortable taking with who I am and the work that I do. There's a quote that I share early on in the book. I think it's from Richard Bach. And he says, I teach most what I need to learn. And so that, that like my fingerprint is all over this book, right? Like, sure. I have client stories or things, but I'm, I I mean, honestly, like I sat down to write this to be like, I'm going to just write a memoir about how I used art to understand mindfulness. Like that's what I wrote. Right. And, and so then, you know, with my editor, we worked in some other pieces and stuff too, but I was very uncomfortable with being known as the expert, Mm. right? Like, Oh, Rachel's an expert in creative mindfulness. And I still really like, I'm like, I'm learning about that. <laughs> I'm exploring that. I, I'm teaching that. And so I guess there, you could assume that if I'm teaching it, that I, that I must know something about it. And I, and I do have skills as an educator and, you know, I do have credentials and those sorts of things, but I really like at the end of the day, it, this, like, this, like humanistic, like vulnerability, like I, it's a line to walk as an educator too, right? Like you said, I'm not going to just roll in and be like, well, here's all my problems. And this is what I'm doing, right? But at the same time, I do have to lead with vulnerability, right? Mm. I do have to, I do have to show, I think it's more powerful to show what it is I've experienced and how I'm experiencing it, and then offer people tools as a way to do that. And actually, what was really like one of the key takeaways for me in writing this book is, um, you know, authors, when they write books, you try to get endorsements. And so the reality is, is the way you do that is you just send your book to everybody and you're like, please, please read my book. And Jack Cornfield that read my book. Right. And, you know, I was like, what? I didn't even know he was reading it. And he gave me feedback, too. And I was like, what? He's not only going to give me an endorsement, he's going to give me feedback. And like, I'm going to print it out and put it up on my wall because he was like, Rachel, the parts where it feels so strong and where it shines really, really like beautifully is when you're talking about your own experience, when you are the expert on yourself, like that to me is what we're, and I was like, that's what I knew, right? Because I kind of feel like I'm faking it sometimes, right? When I'm trying to be like, let me give you this polished 10 point plan of how to do this, right? Because I know that the way this work works is that you have to show up and figure it out yourself, right? So I've got guideposts for people and I'm helping people, but I, I wear, I'm not surprised to hear that it reads that I'm an expert on myself. Uh, I guess yeah. let's just say that, right? It was, it was a really like beautiful experience to have that be really like, 
dialed in by somebody I look up to so much, right? Where I was like, yeah, that is what I'm doing. That is where my expertise lies, yeah. right? I love that. Any, anyone who wants to hang their hat on you just being the expert, you can be like, let me direct you to the chapter on beginner's mind, right? But <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love the anecdote that you shared, the little story. I'd never heard it before. The uh, the founder of Judo. Mm. And then when when he passed, his his desire, his request was to be buried as a with his white belt to his symbolize belt. like that beginning again and that unknowing and going back and learning. Like that's just that's such a beautiful story and reminder of like the the honesty and like the humility of like we're you know what you might have these accolades and things and of course they're going to take you far but when it comes down to it like we all just need to have that posture of like well i know some things and i have some experiences and i'm an expert in my own journey and walk and here's what i'm offering you but i'm you know my current understanding to date is this and knowing yeah. that it'll evolve but yeah he was like yeah he wanted to be buried in a white belt to show that like yeah I, I don't, I tried to do some research. I'm, I, there's a little bit of um, question whether or not that story is like fully true or not. But I, I think that the sentiment of it is for sure true, right? The yes. sentiment of being a beginner and really recognizing that, that like death is the ultimate new beginning for all of us, right? And it's all what we're moving towards too, yeah. right? So. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, one thing you've touched on, and, and it's a theme throughout your book, and, and you've mentioned it here, and I, I wonder if we could just pause and get you to kind of elaborate or, or give us your your uh, current understanding or current definition of this uh, this phrase that you have creative knowing what can we what can we what like what does that mean to us how do we start to step into that move into that can you just give us a little explanation on creative knowing yeah for sure so you know we're sitting both of us are Canadians all of the three of us are Canadians we're sitting in this Western cultural context where um, you know, a, a lot of folks in that world, sitting in that world, would feel like thinking, analytics, kind of knowledge, science would be the way that you are to know, right? That that is kind of how we understand things, the, the pinnacle of where we're all um, understanding things, right? But then the reality is, is for all of us in our lived experience, we know, we understand, we experience that there are so many other ways to understand and know things, right? That it's not just through things that we can measure or see um, or even put language to, but that there are um, other ways for us to come to this. So one of the chapters in my book, I talk about other ways of knowing and other other is maybe not the right way, but different differing ways of knowing, right? So that we can know through the body, right? Or that animals have ways of knowing and plants have ways of knowing and they don't look the way that we would think that they should look right like how a how a animal communicates i tell the story of like humpback whales um sharing a song in the ocean right and that it kind of becomes like a pop song that spreads throughout the ocean right where they're listening to one another right and uh you know we've understood now that plants have this communication that happens underground through their roots those sorts of things right and of course um one of the other ways that we can look at knowing is um ind indigenous people's ways of knowing right and that culturally across the world that there are so many manifestations of how indigenous people uh would understand w the world the way that they make sense of things uh, in terms of the ecosystem the land the connection to one another community and that when you are, I think, you know, any of us who've had the experience of living or being in other cultures can recognize that we're taking things for granted and how, oh, there's other ways to be. There's other ways that people kind of make sense of the world and do things. So, 
yes, it is that. But then there's also, you know, like the body knowing and those sorts of things. So for me, creativity is one of those realms of knowing and it doesn't function in isolation. I care about science very much. I care about evidence and research very much. But there, I know and I recognize that there are certain things in my life that science can't show me, right? So those things for me sit in this realm of creative knowing. And I, for me personally, and many of the people that I work with, creativity is the the resource or the tool that we use to make sense and know through, through our lives. So when we can't use our language, when we can't use words, but we have to communicate perhaps through shape, line, color, texture, sound, movement, um, the, the results are different, right? So Many people would be able to relate to it like this too. You, you know, you sit down with your therapist, you're struggling, you want to talk through your problems and you kind of find, oh, I've talked about this and thought about this a million times, right? But as soon as you take away language and you say, okay, well, how about, why don't you show me what that feels like, but don't use words. Could you show me like with just moving your body or could you show me what color or shape that would feel like? That It's almost like we bring out like a palette of, of um, tools that we can use to express and each palette speaks a different language, right? So the way that I move, if I'm having to express myself through movement versus color versus line, it brings forward different results. It yields different things. And so when we have something different, we're making sense of it in a different way. And that's creative knowing, right? That's expressive knowing. That is how we do with our bodies or, you know, with plants and animals, all these other ways of knowing that we're talking about. It's, it's meant to sit in concert with all of those other things. And it, and it, and I think the trick is, is that where we sit at this time and place in the world, there hasn't been a lot of respect or um, acknowledgement that we can know through anything else, but just the analytical kind of Western mind, right? So it's about carving out a place and offering respect um, for us to know through these different realms. Yeah, I, I love this. I think um, just kind of reflecting on what you're saying, I feel like sometimes words can be limiting to our experience or our feelings or our knowing as you say it. Um, and I like how you open up possibility for other forms of expression, whether that's movement or, or um, you know, color. Or um, I, I find like you know some of the the best poets are able to kind of scratch the surface on on some of these kind of higher meanings or, or deeper meanings. But um, often when we experience these things, we're at a loss for words, you know, like uh, if you have a, a holy or divine experience, or if you're going through the opposite, something like, uh, you know, extreme struggle or, or despair, you know, our words kind of, we lose our words, but we can <laughs> feel that knowing in our body and how we move. Uh, there's other ways that that knowing can express itself. So I, I, I think, uh, I think that's something that we should all explore more because I think we try to intellectualize things when sometimes it needs to be processed or shared or experienced with other modalities. So I love that that's included here. Yeah. And you know, like we just were talking before too, like you guys are teachers, right? Like you and your parents and you work with kids and you know, my husband's a teacher and like we, when it's interesting just to think about even as children in this society, we pride so much on children being able to like have the tools of reading and writing right and of course those are important right and having the language to be able to do that but even the way we ask children to be able to like express what they know and understand we we're getting better i think like i think in canada i think we're starting to like look at our curriculum and do things like that but 
But it's no wonder that people grow up and feel like, wait a minute, like I kind of feel like there's this itch over here and I can't quite scratch it because I'm not, I don't have the right tool in the box to do it, right? And so we almost like there's a forgetting, like an, indoctrin- like an indoctrination of forgetting that happens when we are marginalizing these ways of knowing. And then we grow up as adults and we're like, wait, something's missing. It's like, well, so I think there's like a role for us all to play, no matter, you know, whether you consider yourself creative or you're interested in the mindfulness or wherever, if you are a parent, if you, you know, work with other people, there's a, there's a space and a way for us to think about how am I creating an opportunity for people to express what they know, how they communicate, what they feel in ways beyond just traditional methods, right? Like that would be a huge, that would be like a goal I would have for this book is for people just to even take away that piece. It's like in their own world, finance or wherever it is, like is there other ways for us to capture the experience of people that aren't just around language or traditional ways of communicating, right? Mm. Yeah, that's that's really good. I, I think that's a perfect kind of like jump off point too to talking about like what you what you really created in this book is like you have some essential practices to help people begin or even before they begin. And and you know, many people may have tried you know, we download calm or headspace or, you know, othership or some of these like breath work and meditation apps and, you know, or read a book on it or you know, whatever we might have done, bought the cushion, sat in the corner and tried it for a week or something. And you're like, ah, I don't know. I tried it. I can't do it. But you invite people to consider again, like what might it look like to fuse or experiment with the fusion of, of mindfulness and stillness and also creativity. And, and I love that. And so on that point you were just making, like, I think personally, these are things people can adopt, but even, you know, as an educator, I'm like, man, how cool would it be to pull some of these you know, kind of like nine essential practices into, into like a school, like a high school setting, like that could be really Mm -hmm. creative or really cool to allow, you know, young people to tap into creativity that's often Mm -hmm. been like suppressed or uh, art is for art class, not for science class. And what if we did? So can you talk about some of these creative rituals? I mean, you, you have our creative practices, you have, you have nine of them. And I mean, we can go through all of them or, or, you know, whatever, start the first one. The first one is create a ritual. So why are rituals important in, in both mindfulness and creativity? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think people understand or are at least culturally aware enough around like, you know, the dinging of the bell to signify the beginning of a mindfulness practice and the dinging of the bell at the end or, or whatever sound or chime that we use, right? And And really what we're doing is we're creating space. We're delineating like regular life from like the space that we are intending to be in right and so having a ritual of some sort even if it is as simple as like a sound or something that shows a beginning and end kind of marks the space right there's like this liminal it's like this is the other world where we were now there's like this liminal space where things are shifting and now i'm in this other space right so ritual can look different like i actually really encourage people to make their own ritual right so for some people it's like lighting a candle right or closing the door or making a cup of tea or it might be like getting your slippers or you know just whatever those sorts of things are that start to signify to yourself i'm moving into a new space moving into a space where the intention is different right where i'm going to be noticing i'm going to be observing i'm going to be welcoming things to show up right so um and i think that's maybe in part that that piece alone is a big thing that would be different from like what you're seeing on instagram right like beautiful art making or you know all this sort of stuff that's happening like for sure right but the question is what's your intention what space are you holding for yourself are you holding space to like 
practice these skills or do these sorts of things? Are you holding space for this contemplative um, awareness to emerge, right? And so whatever your ritual might be helps to, to do that, right? So then I usually, I support people to come up with a ritual, right? As tiny or as big as they want to do that. And then I often encourage people to just take a few minutes to arrive, right? I call it arriving. Notice your breath, maybe notice your surroundings, just feel that shift in energy around what your intention is, right? Um, and then I offer people the opportunity often to set an intention. Intention is huge. This is like what your guys' whole podcast is about, I feel like, right? Like, what what do you how you want to show up in the world like what do you what is what are you looking to explore and i always consider intention to be about something you want to grow or stretch towards it's something you're moving towards it's not something you can check off of a list or like say like hey i did that it's like you know i want to i want to listen i want to observe i want to be with my emotions those sorts of things so we create an intention for how we want to be in the space I often encourage people to make a question, kind of trying to go through the list here <laughs> of the nine uh, the nine things. So I don't know what number we're at, but um, have a question. We're at number four. Have a question for yourself, right? So this is, the, the question piece is really powerful because this is how we get to like take that kind of whole bit that we're talking about and welcome it into the practice. So if you're having like a, like a really hard day, or you something just happened and you're like frustrated or you're you know you've got an emotion you can you can say hey i'm gonna welcome that here i'm gonna write out a question like what do i do with this anxiety today or what does my anxiety want me to feel or you know what what should i say to my husband when i see him next or whatever right whatever the thing is and so it allows you to focus it and then really then the the next bit of the process really is about whatever medium you're using so whether it's sound or whether it's painting or drawing or you know I have invitations for people to go out in nature and just like sit in nature and gather objects and bring them together like ex this creative expression part can be as varied and as nuanced as as you want it to be it's where you get to show up but in that process we're just trusting the process right we're like following our impulses we're saying hey I don't know why I'm picking up this rock I don't think what would happen if I moved my hand like this like I don't know let's see right so that that that's a that's a journey for people to be able to trust the process and kind of show up with it um and then yeah really like once we finish the process and we've done that then I always encourage people to move to other mediums right so that's part of what makes my work different than others is that we're looking at that big palette of expression right so maybe that's writing next maybe that's um like moving it from shape line and color to movement or those sorts of things and then ideally through this process there's kind of something we call the crystallization process where it's something like a little shiny nugget shows up at the end for you and you're like oh oh that's the thing that's what i was looking for and it's usually a response to your question and it usually happens in that kind of observational awareness place where you are and then you can close with a ritual right where you're taking away something and you're walking away afterwards so it's like a, it's like kind of most of the processes that i offer people whether it's like mindful art journaling or those sorts of things but in the invitations that i offer in the book there's that that is there for people as well too right so i teach people that at the beginning and then throughout the book um you'll kind of bump up against those same practices to kind of get in the habit and the routine of, oh, I'm showing up this way when I'm in this expressive way. So one, one thing, uh, just thinking about what Jack uh, Cornfield said to you, which is, you know, so cool. Uh, just kudos that, you know, Jack Cornfield's now in the same 
sphere as yourself. You guys are sharing conversation. He's read your book. I think that's that's amazing on its on its own. You're in the in company with uh, with with greatness, and I think that's super cool. But uh, he kind of encouraged, um, you know, you're an expert of your own experiences. So kind of hearing these these steps of of creativity and ritual and process. I'm just curious, like if you're if, if you can kind of share some of your personal examples of like anxieties showing up for yourself or stress is showing up with your for yourself, like how will you how will you use some of these steps? Like, could you give an example mm-hmm. of like, I woke up, my kids were wild and, mm-hmm. you know, I was having a hard time and, uh, you know, I use these steps to kind of ground myself in mindfulness. Can you kind of walk yeah. us through, through that? For sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'll just start by saying that's what the whole second half of the book is, is my, I have like kind of almost short essays where I tell stories of my own creative process and they usually involve that. Right. And then I have images from the pieces that I've done too, but, but yeah, like, I mean, I, I use these practices all the time, not necessarily every day, but I use these practices all the time. So, you know, I'll give you an example, like end of school year, we've mentioned, I've got three kids, right? I've got all this work that's happening. My husband's a school teacher. June tends to be like a nutty time for us, right? So I, I love I can remember it was a day where I was like, I am tapped out. Like I had an encounter with somebody and it felt really like yucky and gross. And then my kids are like going crazy everywhere. And there's like the doorbell ringing all the time. There's people coming over. And I just looked at my husband and I was like, I just need 30 minutes. Like I got to just go upstairs for 30 minutes. And he's like, yeah, for sure. Do your thing. Right. I, for me, I close the door, right? Like I will, like if I have a candle, I will light a candle or I'll make myself a cup of tea or something like that. And I, and I will just arrive, even with a house full of like doorbells ringing and kids, like I will just look out the window or notice my breath. And I have like a whole journal where I will just go in and I, and I, and I use shape, line and color. I ask myself first, which color, what color am I starting with after I've set an intention and I have a question like what color? Well, I need to work with like red right now, right? Because I'm feeling really angry about this encounter that I've had, right? And I will kind of, you know, like trust my body and to, to move or make marks or, you know, those sorts of things, kind of wild, messy. Sometimes it looks very childlike, right? Where you're starting. And then I will always set a timer too for this so that I have like a beginning and an end space. And I will let myself create for maybe 10 to 15 minutes in the visual part. And then I always have like a written part that I'll do afterwards. And you know, like, so in this example where I had this kind of gross encounter with this person, I, I felt like in that, in that situation, I put it on the paper, right? And it had lots of black and it had lots of red. And I think I cut papers and, sh- and sh- like collage stuff that kind of had this woman with like, you know, holding her finger over her mouth, making kind of a sh- thing. And I scribbled all over it. And then I wrote a poem on the side and, you know, I pushed my chair away and I was like, okay, like, I didn't change anything about the encounter that I'd had with the person. It didn't change the context of the chaos that was happening outside my door, but it it almost felt like I took that thing that was in me and I put it somewhere else, right? I put it in this thing. Um, so this thing online somewhere, it was like, it's not enough for me to feel my feelings. I need to alchemize them through art. And I was like, that's it. That is totally it. Right. There's like a magic alchemy that happens where it's just a place to put it. Right. And you guys probably experience this where like you have an encounter and then you go for a run. Right. And it feels like whatever's in you is changing. This is just one more tool to help like move things through you. Right. 
Yeah, it makes me think of uh, the saying that we often share from Rich Roll, uh, mood, mood follows uh, action. Um, mm-hmm. So like if we're, you mentioned running, like if we're feeling stuck, you know, or if I'm feeling stuck, often I'll go for a 30-minute run. Um, but I do like, I was reflecting to like uh, growing up, I would, uh, if I was anxious, I would always draw or doodle. Um, mm-hmm. Just like having that movement on paper would kind of allow me to, listen better or kind of resort my thoughts. Um, so, um, whether it's me moving my body or just kind of moving my thoughts on a piece of paper, I think that for myself, that movement has always been, uh, important to kind of give space to filter, resort, kind of reprioritize, ground myself. Um, so I, I like, I love that process that you shared of, of taking, you know, 30 minutes or a set amount of time, starting that ritual with the tea or, or, or the candle and then giving yourself permission just to, to create as a, as a means to kind of move your, your emotions and your feelings and your own experience around. Mm-hmm. And I mean, really what we're talking about in like both instances is like the act of making and doing uh, is is where the, like, that's the transfer and energy, right? So, you know, like when you're talking about the ritual quote around like action and that, that movement, that energy around things, that is, I think, I think this is just my own kind of thinking out loud here, but like, I think what is so tricky right now for us in society in this land of distraction, where we can have an encounter and then we can pick up our phone and go into the scroll hole, right? And be distracted and then come out and be like, well, maybe I'll eat something or do whatever. That's all still in us, right? Where we don't, we don't have where the scales are tipping around the doing part of things, right? And we're doing less and we're consuming more. And it's very passive to just be taking things in versus like, yeah, which is why it's like gardening, running, making food, like whatever, making art, like whatever it is, the act of, of making is where the transformation happens, right? So, um, th- like, that's huge, right? Like how you're talking about doing, feeling better or like going for a run, right? It's like, if, people, if you don't have that in your life, like, I don't even know how you could feel whole or well. I don't even know where that people maybe don't label themselves as contemplative, but everybody needs to have a space where they're doing that awareness and that reflection. And so if you don't have something in your life that is letting you do and be and like actually put something or make something happen in the world that wasn't there before, then I don't, I don't know how you're, no wonder lots of people are suffering and stuck because for me, that's the, that's the thing I just know now. I'm I'm like, okay, I got to do this. And I also, you know, exercise is huge for me too, right? Like sometimes drawing isn't enough. And then I'll tell people, yeah, if you do your art, go for a walk afterwards or go for a run, right? Like those, they work very well together. Mm. Yeah. I think it's like the, it's an interesting time that we're in because we do have this like socially accepted, like numbing, addictive thing that we all carry around in our pockets and when we do have an unpleasant encounter or unpleasant emotions i think that that's the thing that we turn to most rather than let me try to work these feelings out it's like well i'm just going to like numb myself with the screen and whatever it is tiktok instagram i mean in like pornography for people it's like the i'm having bad feelings so i want to turn to something that's going to like make me feel better in the moment and maybe it does but it's exactly what you said like we're not actually dealing with the thing that's caused us to feel frustrated or stressed or anxious. And so 
by the end of a 20 minute, you know, scroll sesh, like maybe we're not as heated as we were, but like you said, those feelings are still in there. All of that energy is still there. And maybe it's just like pushed down a little bit. And then the next thing happens and it's that much more, or, you know, then we like snap at our partner or our kids because we've actually Mm -hmm. never dealt with that thing that happened earlier in the day by, you know, bringing it to fruition. Like I, I love that, that quote of like, you know, alchemizing it through art or movement or whatever. And, and it just allows people to, to work through those things. I think that's really important. I mean, if anyone has any takeaway from, from the conversation, it's like, get these things out. Right. And I mean, there's so yeah. many ways that you can do that, obviously through like trusted, you know, friends or professionals or, you, you know, but like walk through these things, work them out. Don't just like put them away. And I think that it's so harmful and it's no wonder you know we can say all these correlations and even causations between our screens and and mental health you know challenges that we're noticing but it's like if we're just replacing doing the work by numbing ourselves it's not going to be good for us in the in the long run yeah and i would add to that i think this is kind of the piece that i recognize in my teaching way where Sometimes the mindfulness piece is hard, right? So what you're talking about where people are like, yeah, I'm going to do something. I'm going to make art. And then, but then in the back of their head, there's this expectation that like, I'm going to make the art and then I'm going to feel good, right? And I will have figured it out or I will have like healed, right? And it's like, maybe, I don't know, but maybe actually you just really sat with the grossness of that, right? And that, I think that is the thing sometimes where people were like, look, I do that or I've done that and it's not really working for me. But I think that that's the reframe around like working for you. What is, what, what does working look like? Because that's the piece where sometimes I have people that want to work with me um, and then they want to make the art and they want the art with the healing. But then when we're like really doing the mindfulness piece, they're like, like, okay, but why are we still talking about the growth? Like, why am I sitting with this gross thing? Can't we do something to fix that? And so like, yes, and also, <laughs> right? Like, it's not, it's not. And so I think that's like an important question to ask yourself if you want to go on this journey of doing the alchemizing or whatever we're calling it, whether it's running or exercise or art making or whatever it is, what is the expectation you have that will happen in the outcome? Because I think if you have a expectation around it and you don't meet it, then that is sometimes where it's like you're setting yourself up for, or just setting it back again and again, right? Mm, yeah, that's that like uh, striving rather than stillness, right? Like we're mm-hmm. all goal oriented and want to just like move through the thing and check the box and get better. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes our striving is actually getting in the way of, of what we need to do. Just being with it, right? Yeah. Which yeah. isn't really all that sexy. Actually. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I sat for 45 minutes and felt bad. How do you yeah. feel now? Still but it's different, right? Like, yeah, you might be sitting for 45 minutes with the bat. And I think this is the thing that you have to be like attuned to the nuance of it is it's like, maybe you sat for 45 minutes with like the yuckiness or the, you know, the grossness, but like, but it does change. It, it is, it's just maybe didn't change in the way you thought it would, right? right. It maybe wasn't like instant relief, right? But your relationship to it is changing. Can, can we kind of zoom into that? Um, so we're, we're moving on to, I think we're already into like the part two of your book, the meditations and creative invitations, which I love that there's a creative invitation with each section. I think that gives, um, I think just the idea of invitations really beautiful, but, um, zooming into the, what Dean was talking on there from striving to stillness. Cause I think we often don't know how to be still, but I think being still is essential for 
our own development for for so many things um you know i i sometimes worry about my own kids because there's so much entertainment you talked about the scrolling you know even Mm -hmm. even like when we were kids there'd be commercials so we'd be bored for a minute between our our favorite show you know and there's like now Mm -hmm. you just have every show on demand on all the the networks um and i think boredom can create you know so much profound thinking or creativity or uh it's just a space to to process and we've kind of gotten rid of that and uh even stillness can be associated with striving instead of just being still it could be like dean mentioned it could be like i'm going to be still for five minutes you know like and do this Mm -hmm. meditation app and check that mark Mm -hmm. that i was you know did that practice so can you kind of zoom into from striving to stillness and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, maybe share your invitation of, of creating with nature and, and mm-hmm. kind of unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, when, so the, the second half of the book, I, I take 10 principles of mindfulness and each one of them, I kind of offer the same like formula where I'm telling you client stories and I tell you my own story and then I give you a creative invitation to do it. So the chapter that you're talking about is called striving to stillness, where we're really talking about this kind of striving nature. And I share a story of a client that I worked with that had, you know, really experienced so much harm in her life and was really working so hard to like heal, right? Like it was like a job to heal, right? You could see like she was doing everything like any new thing people said like there was so much desire to let go of her suffering right and I tell the story that like in one of our sessions one time she kind of was like okay I gotta like you gotta fix you know I'm gonna figure this out what I gotta make sure I'm maximizing the time and then she kind of realized like oh I could actually just enjoy myself like there was like this moment of like awareness and it was like yeah maybe you don't need to work today maybe what you're doing today is you're just gonna make some marks on a page and that might be joyful right and that was really powerful her for her right because it it was like the beginning of her kind of clicking out of that striving mentality of like doing 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 right and so in this chapter i talk about my own story um i think i call it like um uh something with the woodpecker uh, (laughs) like the story about a woodpecker right where again it's like this this scene where I'm in this like very difficult spot in just one morning like in this difficult spot and I've been trying really really hard to like fix things in my life right I'm I'm a mother I take that role very seriously you know my kids were very little at the time I'm trying to be like the perfect mom I'm trying to like do all the things and you know no screen time and we're doing this and I was nursing like you know like for a very long time my children and I'm just depleted right like I'm just not not I'm not recognizing what my needs are in this and I'm I'm just trying I'm just trying 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 and I went I live I'm very lucky where I live in Calgary I live downtown but I live on the bottom of this bluff and I have this little like green space and I just kind of like escaped and went out into this green space and there was like a woodpecker there right I'm like in this spot and I'm watching this woodpecker like peck its beak against the the, you know just like like is there a bug here is there a bug here and I'm like watching this like the striving I'm almost thinking about like the striving in my life and watching it and I'm watching it kind of not have this let down it's not it's just moving through its life moment by moment being like is there a bug here no is there something satiating here no right and it's moving on and it's it's like 
And so many times we can find that that kind of wisdom in nature, right? Where we're sitting over here in this ball of stress and thinking about all these things that were said and what, you know, and I'm like looking at this peaceful scene in nature and I'm thinking to myself like, wow. And then I tell the story that I found this like wasp paper, this old wasp um, nest that had the magpies had brought down and I, and I see this and this is something I'd been looking for. And I made like a, just a little installation on the hill, right? I just found this moment. Um, I've, I'm probably not speaking about it as well as I've written. <laughs> it's a little more eloquent when I'm writing about it. But um, yeah, it was like a really powerful, impactful moment to just be with this wasp paper and this woodpecker in the background and, and just realizing like, I can just be here right now, right? I can just make this thing on the hill and just be in this space. And I don't have to try, right? Like I don't, I, I don't, the trying is like what is causing the suffering here, right? Um, so similar to the client that I talked about too, it's like this moment of like awareness where you realize like, wait a minute, I don't have to, I don't have to try so hard. So the invitation for this chapter is about creating with nature, right? And creating with nature, I think for people that are listening and they're like, I'm not creative. Everyone can go into nature and make something right. Like whether it's just finding like a beautiful rock or like some grass or some flowers that you're growing on your balcony and just like being with them and attuning with them and connecting with them, right? And so the invitation is to really examine your own relationship to how you're striving and what's going on for you and then and then bring some objects together and write with them to to look at your own relationship to striving. And again, on that on the heels in the context of the chapter that's exploring that where even just reading it you kind of start to shift your relationship to what striving might look like for you. Mhm. I think it, it connects beautifully to like the kind of like Buddhist and like um, contemplative practice of living in non-judgment of ourselves, which is very, very hard to do, right? Mm -hmm. It's an incredibly mm -hmm. challenging thing where we're all, especially if we're driven people or people who would identify as creatives, we are often very judgmental of the things we create. And that can be a helpful tool in, you know, bettering our craft and bettering ourselves. Like I would like to run faster or, you know, create something that I can really think is like my most beautiful work yet, but also just like being spontaneous and in the moment and kind of in this non-judgmental way saying like, oh, here are some things that are just at my disposal, you know, some sticks or flowers and, and you know, this remnants of a wasp nest that I can create something with. And recognizing that like maybe nobody ever would ever see it. If they walk past it, maybe they would notice, maybe they would not, but it was simply the act of creating yeah. something that was all that was needed in that moment. And and it can be very non-judgmental because it's not like you're trying to make something that's a beautiful piece of art. You're just making something. Yeah. I love and that. And it's ephemeral. The word would be ephemeral that we would use to talk about that kind of work, right? Like the wind would take it back. The water would take it back, right? And so it's impermanent in nature, right? Mm. And so you're right. Resist the urge to take a photo of it and put it on Instagram, right? <laughs> because that, you know, there it like that would be a powerful act in and of itself to make something and not share it, right? To just have it for you, right? Yeah. When you do talk about uh, later in the book something that I, I love, and and we've talked about this, you know, things as like an act of rebellion or or you know, kind of a resistance to the kind of mainstream frantic pace of our life, but you talk about creativity as resistance. And like mm -hmm. that ability to create something and not 
take the photo and share it to say, look what I did, but to simply just do it for yourself. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. a really important piece is creating something just as an act of resistance or an act of rebellion to the kind of systemized like productivity and make sure you do something, make it good and share it and get likes yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can make something that's ugly and you're not going to sell it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not going to, there's no commercial aspect to it. And you're not, you know, you don't even need to learn anything from it. Right. Like you can just actually just do something, but, and you can, you know, this can be, you can make anything and anywhere. Like I said, like you could think of this in any aspect of kind of what your jam is, whatever that might be, but like doing that and engaging in that sort of thing where there isn't eyes on it, when it isn't being turned into something else, when it isn't being commodified, like that's a powerful thing to do with your time and your energy, right? In this context and in this day and age, like that's a really powerful thing to do um, and can really like start to help you find that agency, right? Where you do it once and then you're like, yeah, wait a minute. I didn't need to, I like stepped outside of this and it felt good. And then it fuels you to do that more and more. Yeah, I think what what you're what you're saying here is something that you've added into the book too, and maybe you could just continue to kind of jam on this. But something that we talk about a lot is like being embodied and really like having that experience. And it's not necessarily for, you know, we've talked about it before with like athletics and running and stuff. And and you can chase the goal, but the best runs are always the ones where you're kind of fully embodied and you're just out there doing it. And it doesn't matter how fast you're going or how far you're going. And so you talk about it in this in in um in your book as well saying creativity is an embodied act it integrates the movement of our bodies and engages our senses as we notice color texture tension and sounds allowing us to observe the world outside of ourselves with presence and curiosity which i would think then would lead us back within but like how much um how much of an invitation do you extend to people to say, listen, see, this is something that you can be fully embodied in and maybe like making art out in nature is one of the best Mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, really all of it is embodied, right? Like I'm just talking about there, there's no, you're moving your body, whether it's even just making music or writing or whatever, there is an embodied piece to it. Right. So the awareness component can happen that like, for example, you're sitting down to make something and you're feeling like this tightness in your chest or your shoulder, right? Like, and it, and you know, at first that might be like, oh God, like I wish that would go away. It's distracting me from the work I'm doing, right? But if we can shift that attitude to being like, wow, I really have this like tension in my chest. Like, I wonder what would happen if I really tuned into that. And then again, welcomed that tension in my chest out right what what would ha- what would that tension in my chest look like if i use shape line and color right or what would that tension in my chest like how does it change if i start to just like move my body or my arms or if i listen to music or do whatever right and so i mean there's always the impetus of any creative act always is embodied and so that notion of being aware of it of what's happening in this kind of sensory field of our body and then welcoming that into other ways of understanding too right like whether like i just said like movement or whatever i've got an exercise in the book around listening to music and moving your body and just making marks right and like it would be a mark making exercise and this is something you know you could do this with your students at school or whatever because it is one of those things where what you're making is literally just going to look like scribbles right it is just going to look like dots and scribbles and marks but it's a way to kind of start to feel that communication uh, and that integration in the body around what's ha- what you're feeling inside and then welcoming it kind of out to move in other ways and spaces. And what's so cool about the mark making piece is that then you have this kind of almost like 
real time in the moment, like artifact, right? Where like I show an image in the book, right? Of this mark making exercise I did. And it's like that moment, that time and place, that was how my body was moving. That was the color I was feeling. And that, it's almost like a little Polaroid <laughs> of what was happening in my body in that moment, right? And so, yeah, I mean, and, and I, this isn't where my expertise lies, but in the expressive art therapies or other art therapies, this is why this work is so powerful working with people who've experienced trauma or like PTSD or um, abuse or those sorts of things, right? Physical traumas, because that language piece isn't there and the trauma sits in the body somatically. And so these these therapies that welcome um, the, the somatic piece to kind of lead um, often can be very supportive and there's lots of evidence around around um, that support for, for people who've experienced trauma, right? So, you know, if that's something people are interested in, then finding an expressive art therapist or an art therapist or somebody who works in the somatics is really powerful because it welcomes that movement as the leader, right? I love that because I think uh, you mentioned, and we're going to hop around all your points here, but the beginner's mind, I think like a practice like that, I think sometimes we can get stuck because uh, we can have an idea like art has to look a certain way. It has to be mm-hmm. quote unquote good. Uh, it has to mm-hmm. look represent uh, like represent something. Um, but I think when you're listening to music and you're just using your your body and and your your tools as an expression of of what you're observing in the music, I think it takes you out of. Um, any kind of limitations or expectations and just allows you to be present and create. So I think that as a practice, that's, that's a really beautiful, beautiful uh, exercise to kind of go through. And, you know, I, I was just thinking about trying it with my kids while, while yeah. I was listening, mm-hmm. you know, put on some yeah. of their music and give them a, you know, a paintbrush or some crayons or some felts and just let them have at it. Cause sometimes my, my uh, older son Finn will be like, well, it doesn't look the same as it, does in the book and i'm like well that's okay there's no wrong answer in art it's just like create create however you feel in that moment and just because it looks different there's no right or wrong to that you know it's just yeah that that's what you expressed and that's what is and um yeah i I think having these kind of hacks or rituals or, or or practices where it gets us out of perfection it gets us into the process are really nice exercises to have in our in our tool belt that you speak of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to circle back to one um, you kind of mentioned impermanence, um, and you read on the impermanence of the presence, and and you, you mentioned your uh, patience through uh, ephemeral art, and uh, I think of one of my favorite artists, uh, Andy Goldsworthy. Do you know Do you know his work at yes, all? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, it's it's so if for those that don't know his work, he does these incredible nature installations using um, natural surroundings. So he'll use leaves and rocks and trees and, um, you know, work with a natural setting, whether that's a river or wherever he might be. And uh, he does photograph it, you know, for for kind of to share that experience Um but they are impermanent, you know, like nature will take them back to however nature wants to take it in its own perfect way. After, and um, Dean mentioned rebellion as well. I think impermanence is such a rebellion to so many 
of our cruxes in, in modern life, just like accepting impermanence, you know, and I think that's the truth of life is everything is impermanent. Everything is always changing. Our bodies are different every day. Um, mm. So in, in many sense, we are different people every day. So can you kind of like dig into why impermanence is such an incredible practice, something to be aware of in expression, but also in, in mindfulness? Yeah. Um, I, I think this is in the chapter, but I'm going to just share this story because I think it, it fits with what we're talking about. The, I tell the story in the book. Um, I, the artist's name, I believe, is Katie Patterson. And um, she has a, a work called Future Library. And so she planted 1,000 trees outside of Norway. And the purpose of these trees is that in um, 100 years' time, I believe it's 100 years' time, they're going to cut down those trees and they're going to turn them into um, books. And so for the 100 years while this, while this forest is growing, one author a year is invited to submit a work to this kind of um, trust of, of literature, right? So, um, you know, like Margaret Atwood was one of the authors, like it's quite notable people, right? And so they write something and this work only sits in this, nobody knows what it is. There's no no peeking. Margaret Atwood's the only one who knows or whoever the writer is is the only one who knows. And it's going to sit there for 100 years and then become published when they take those trees down. So the real beauty of this is that Katie Patterson is not going to be around when this product when this when this project reads its culmination right Margaret Atwood is not going to be around we are not going to be around right so there's like this this beautiful piece around the future happening in it and also the nowness of it right it's a really beautiful meditation and exploration on that it's called future library you can go to the website and look it up and see who the artists are and stuff it's and it's so interesting to think about participating and putting your time and energy into something that is so much bigger than yourself and so fleeting at the same time, right? It, it's this tension around what is happening now, but also what's happening big picture. And that's impermanence, right? Is like mm -hmm. impermanence isn't just about like that woodpecker was in a moment of impermanence, right? Peck, peck, pecking up the tree. But I think what is interesting about our capacity as human beings and maybe other animals that we aren't even aware, maybe that woodpecker is doing it, but this notion that we can be in the forever and the now at the same time, right? These two pieces, this tension that we can hold these two pieces at the same time, right? And that, that to me is really like, the the elbow grace of mindfulness so to speak mm. right that's like that's the piece where yes we're in the moment and we're recognizing what's happening in our bodies or our emotions but we also know that we sit in this context that's so much bigger than this feeling right now right and i think sometimes that's where mindfulness we might be like yeah like i'm you're asking me to sit in the suffering it's like yeah sit in the suffering and feel the suffering but also recognize that that suffering is fleeting, right? That not, it's always changing. It's always moving. It's always shifting, right? And so this like awareness that we can offer through through our own art making or, you know, even just the art and the story that I tell in the book, like, sure, I put a timestamp on that. I published it and I look, but when I look at this book now, you know, like almost a year later, a year and a half later since I've written it, my relationship to it already has changed, right? And it's going to keep changing because none of this is permanent, right? So 
that's beautiful things about having like an art journal. I have like, you know, old art journals where I can flip back through and be like, wow, it's really in that thing. Like that, that was a really hard time. And I really thought that was never going to change. But here I am sitting and I can look back at these artifacts and be like, no, like I'm totally different than I was then or whatever. Right. So um, it's a way for us to do the big picture and the small picture. I'm just reading um, Quest Love has a really beautiful book about creativity called Creative Quest. And it was so like beautiful. He talks about this like forever now thing too and tells stories of his own life where he was like, that's the creative superpower, right? Is if you can be like so absorbed in the moment, but then also be able to like have these flashes to the big picture. Um, so it was like, you know, Emily Dickinson and Questlove, like <laughs> sharing the same bit of wisdom, dropping the same wisdom around forever and now at the same time. And um, something about creativity helps us dial into both of those things simultaneously, right? <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Shout out to Questlove and the roots. Yeah. <laughs> Man, but like so prolific, right? I mean, how many al- they have, I, think, I don't even know, an incredible amount of albums and just the creativity that comes out of them, even as being like, you know, Jimmy Fallon's house band and the fun stuff they do there. Like it just. Oh yeah. And he quest loves writing cookbooks and like curating like culinary things. Again, like another example of a creative person who really isn't like, like, it's funny. He talks about in the book too. Like, am I creative? Like, I don't know. I'm just reworking all these other people's stuff all the time. Like, and it's like, then he's like, people tell me that's creative. Right. And it's like, he doesn't understand limitations. He's like, sure. I'm a drummer, but I'm also this. I'm also like 1000 other things too. And I'm like that. What a beautiful example. Like when I see that, I'm like, Oh, right. Cause even now in my life, I'm like, should I write more? Should I write another book? Like, maybe I want to make, maybe I just want to make land art. Maybe I want to do this. And in my head, sometimes I'm like, Rachel, you have to choose. But then and I'm like, actually, no, this is the game that you want to play. You want to be able to go where the call is, right? So anyways, that's a yeah. bit of a no, <laughs> sidetrack, awesome. but yeah. On that line side, uh, land side, I really like the section you have, um, The Land Speaks. Um, can you kind of share that that experience and uh, a little bit about that section with us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mentioned it earlier that I live at the bottom of a bluff, right? And so um, I share the example of, um, again, always like kind of sharing the the emotional state that I might be in where where things might be hard or, I, you know, at this point when I, when I feel it now, I feel like it was like kind of winter, right? And it was like things are, you know, here in Canada and you're kind of reaching that end of winter, early April, things are kind of hard, right? And um, having this experience of like, seeing this hill and knowing that like you know it used to be like a buffalo jump a long time ago like i live at the bottom of a buffalo jump right and i'm like downtown calgary's here and the river's here and like sometimes you just dip in you know i'm walking and i'm kind of just dipping into that space and then i'm like feeling like when i'm moving my body and when i'm on the bluff like like i start to hear things i start to almost have like wisdom that kind of trickles in and through me through the wind through like my foot on the ground through this sort of thing and i started with like being in a spot with my husband right like really being in this story and this like you know like why is he always like this and you know whatever it is right and then being in the bluff and being on the bluff and having like a poem almost kind of like move through me right like words almost come through me And, you know, I tell, I'm I'm sharing in those parts of the book, I'm sharing it in the context of like, almost a creative work itself, right? Um, I'm 
it is. It's like a standalone piece of like, it's like a little essay that feels creative and from beginning to end. But when I talk about it now, like I can feel like that, that is the experience of me moving my body. That is me like kind of getting into this kind of in between brain state, this like liminal open space where like, yeah, maybe the land is talking to me. Like maybe, maybe this is how I'm integrating my emotions and my body and my connection to the space that I am. And when I do that, I have like insight and wisdom that can happen for me. Right. And um, yeah, I tell another story in there too around a relationship, but just an issue with my son, my young son at the time too, right? And around this picks me like this bouquet of flowers. And in this moment, it's like this crystallizing little gift of love where I'm like, oh, I forgive you and you forgive me. And, you know, and then the flowers fade and I, you know, I've still got them on the wall back there too, right? And they're like this beautiful memory of like how the connection to the land and the space and this like notion of impermanence. And it, and it might not sound creative even as I'm talking about it, but I guess that's what's so interesting about how creative expression looks, right? Like you might be picturing I'm this capital A artist with, you know, works on the wall or whatever, but sometimes these creative acts and these insights happen through like, yeah, a handful of wildflowers, right? And then the story or the poem that results as a result of that or the symbol that they start to hold, right? Mm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I think it's such a good reminder. Is that that little dried bouquet behind oh, you? It's right there, yeah. That's a- and all these other little ones behind me too are the little ones that I tell in the beginner's mind, my little pandemic play where I've got these little mini abstracts um, that I was working through in the middle of the pandemic to try to like let go of control and practice beginner's mind. So yeah. Cool. And is that mm-hmm. is that one that there's a photo in the book that looks like that? Is that the yeah nice very cool I, yeah i've got a, yeah i've got other stuff too but i while i'm doing while i'm talking about the book it feels nice to have the book things with behind me, you right? yeah so, yeah oh that's great yeah. so rachel in other ways like outside of you know the creative processes that you pursue you know as someone who who is maybe not capital a or however we want to decide but someone who is an artist mm-hmm. and someone who helps people you know heal themselves or recognize spaces and places for growth and healing how has like this idea of creative knowing um impacted or influenced your life in ways outside of maybe what's contained in the pages of your book Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah i was talking about this um just kind of mentioned it might be an interesting spot to share some of this so i finished the book in april of 2022 and uh, two weeks later, my daughter, my young daughter was diagnosed with very severe rheumatoid arthritis. Um, very like, like head to toe, like very urgent. Right. And then two weeks after that, my dad passed away. So when I talk about that in the book, right, like where I know he's going to be ill and he died of a complications from an autoimmune condition. Right. So like I finished this book and then I like, was like done that and like moved into like, you know, a well of grief and changing my life and that sort of thing, right? So, you know, it's interesting now to look back like a year later from that, like I felt so resourced because I had all these tools to like help me manage all of that at the same time, right? Like my, I felt like I really knew what to do when things were really terrible. I felt like I had a tool that I could pull out, right? And so what's really interesting for me in the context, I think just of the work that you guys do too, is like that, that, bumping up with my daughter's illness and watching my dad go through so many years of such terrible illness, like really tuned me into my body and my, you know, what I was doing with my own health at the same time too. And I feel like what's interesting for me is that 
it might not feel like there's a direct line between creativity and this mindful art making and kind of how I feed my body or how I move my body or, you know, how I show up in the world. But, but there is, there is. And I talk about it early on where I've always been trying to examine this question around like, is this just like navel gazing, like cute stuff just for me? Or like, am I actually doing something in the world? Like we have climate crisis happening. We've got, we have to totally reimagine like, race gender relations all of that sort of thing is happening right now like we're in the we're in the throes of like really needing to transform society like in a real urgent way and and come up with solutions that are are compassionate and connected and and grounded right and so i feel like this work helps me like really sink to the depths of like compassion and really sink to the depths of my feelings and so you know, I'm going through this like grief crisis, like after I finish my book, and I'm like, you know, wading through things and looking through things. And like, somehow on the other end of that, I've come out like, really committed to like, being plant based, right? Because I recognize that that's what's good for my body, right? And that's what's good for my daughter's body. And that's what's good for the planet. And that's the compassionate choice, right? And I don't think that if I wouldn't have done this creative work that I would, I mean, maybe I would have come to the same place. But it, it, it feels connected. It feels like these sorts of decisions around how we live our lives, how we connect with one another, how we, you know, the purchases that we make, those sorts of things. It feels like the more attuned I am to myself and the impact I have in the world and, you know, like the, that, the, it, it makes it clearer for me. I'm not stuck in my own stuff. When I was anxious and lost you know what I'm talking about before I was first divorced with my first son like I, I I wasn't capable of I was like in survival mode right like I wasn't doing anything that felt integrated or intentional right and so the more I live and I have this resource and tool that helps me live intentionally and be clear with who I want to be and what my impact will be in the world it, it's interesting to see the decisions that helps me move towards right around, you know, and, and, and as a mother and all of that stuff too. Right. So, um, yeah, really, just really interesting for me, kind of like the bookend at the end after the book, right around where this work is taking me now. Right. Hmm. I love that yeah. process and the journey and the integration and interconnectedness. Like you'd never know. I think that's the exciting thing about process and journey. Like if you're not, if you if you're committed to the process and the journey, you don't know where that's gonna continue to take you because there's no fixed destination. You're just mm -hmm. continuing to integrate, to to see the interconnectedness of everything, and to experiment with, you know, the many rituals and practices in here. And you and and we don't know where that's gonna take us. So like it might open a door here, mm -hmm. it might open a door there. You know, it's it's led you in in curious ways to to see. The connection to the the planet and to the food that we have and to our you know our, our habits and and consumerism and and diet and it's I think as you start to like unfold those layers it just opens up so much more and and I'm always excited to, to kind of dive into that not knowing you know for mm -hmm. me for me mm -hmm. that's like the magic like I'm like oh mm -hmm. what will be next you know like this just took me here and I had no clue that I was gonna go here. And it's mm -hmm. been so exciting and eye-opening and like, what's going to be next? Um, I think that un unknowing is, as a destination is very exciting for myself. Yeah, because it's like, if I want to be with awareness, 
right? Like if I really am committed to compassion or awareness, then I have, then when something presents itself, I have, I can't check out of that, right? Like I can't, I can't, I can't be like, oh, I'm going to pretend I don't know that thing. And I'm just going to know these things, right? So you're right. It is that like unexpectedness of like something else is thrown on your doorstep. And it's like, well, what are you going to do with this? It's like, I I mean, now I have to, I'm going to explore this and then I'll have to, I'll have to figure it out. Right. Cause you, that's the journey that you're on when you're, when you're moving towards awareness. Right. Yes. A hundred percent. I love, I, I love that. Um, and it's all the journey. I just I have like maybe a simple question that we've like summarized through this conversation. But if if someone is feeling really stuck, if you have someone that's like almost uh, paralyzed by, you know, the cards that they've been dealt with, do you have like a first step, whether it's putting on that music and kind of doing some scribbles? Um, Do you have like a step to get you know, one step out of bed or one step out of off the couch or one step towards that, that awareness that we were kind of touching on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it has to be like that whisper in the back of your mind. If you ask it like, what, what, what do I need to make or do or what action is it I need to take? Right? Like, what is that? What does that whisper say? And is it strange? Like, is it, it, that's fine, right? Like, is it telling you that you need to get up and like rip the sheet, right? Like, I don't know what that is, right? But that, that, that act of following our impulse, trusting that impulse to like do that action piece of like making, right? And so maybe it, that, that, like we talked about, like moving away from like the scroll hole, like passive part of life to like an action part of life. It's like, that if you just hold space and like ask yourself that question and like listen for like the smallest whisper and then act on that whisper, I feel like that the next whisper will be a little bit louder and a little bit louder. And before you know it, you will be in a generative state rather than a um, depressed, like, you know, downward state. It's, it, it's the way to start moving things um, outward, you know, forward, that sort of thing. Mm. Listen to the whispers. Yeah. I, I think that's so nice. I think, uh, you know, myself included, I can kind of hear those whispers and just ignore them because it's uh, easier to continue to scroll or just sit on the couch and eat the potato chips. But uh, the whispers are there, you know? Yeah, so they we, are. We, yeah. we do live in choice whether to act on them or to ignore them. And I think um, diving into that choice to, to listen to them is is a beautiful invitation to to take a step in some direction. Mm. Uh, in, in your own practices, um, what do you find fills you with the most joy? Like, do you have one of these practices that just kind of fills your cup with like a joyfulness, a playfulness, maybe like a childlike um, kind of that inner joy that kind of wants to laugh out loud sometimes? Yeah, for me, the like magic, like where it all comes together is that I can create outside or with nature like to me that's just like there's no it ticks all of the boxes right it's like i'm making i'm outside my body is in is integrated there are sounds that are like you know for me that that is that is it right so um i think you know and, and, and you know i talked about this like i'm do i want to write more i have all those abstract art pieces i want to do visual those sorts of things but like like when i really like i'm like the thing that just like i know will just like 
make me feel whole. It's like if I go outside and somehow make in nature that that is so, you know, likely down the line, that will be what what I will express more of. Right. And, and play more with and see where that leads me. Right. I love that. I, I think a lot of what you shared in your book kind of stacks together when you're outside, like being still, mm-hmm. seeing the impermanence, listening to the land. Like, I think a lot of uh, a lot of these habits, if you can can pause and just observe nature, there's so many invitations there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I think uh, as we as we move towards a conclusion here of, of this conversation, it's been so so insightful and so good. And thank you for just all of the ways that you've reflected on and added to you know already what what's in your book. We encourage everyone listening to to pick it up. Creating stillness uh, by Rachel Rose. Uh, it's a great way to to get us you know moving into those into those new spaces that maybe we thought we wouldn't be able to do as someone who's not good at mindfulness or not good at art. But, um, you, you conclude the book with, uh, one of the beautiful, um, stories from Aesop's fables, the, the Raven in the picture. And you have this reflection that's so good. I just want to read it out. Uh, creative knowing is your picture and your practice in mindfulness is the pebbles each coming together moment by moment, bit by bit. Some days it may feel easy to find the pebbles and place them in, and other times we may find ourselves distracted or too tired to lift a pebble, but slowly over time, if we stay with the practice, we add more acts of mindfulness and creative expression to our picture, and that those waters would begin to flow, and not just for us, but for the people around us. And and I really just love that as kind of a concluding image of, of what might seem like scarcity or something that's really difficult, just like little by little. And the story, uh, the, the fable is the raven drops the, the pebbles into the pitcher of water and the water that was unreachable as he drops pebble by pebble becomes up and, and the raven is able to drink. Um, mm-hmm. And so for us, knowing that something that might seem unattainable from, from the moment we are at currently, mm-hmm. little by little uh, is the, the reminder that we can get to the destination that we're hoping for or that might seem impossible. So... Yeah, I just I just absolutely love that. And and I'm not sure if you've listened through to the end of some of our episodes before, but we always ask our guest, like, what does the name of our podcast a little more good, knowing that that's what we wanted to create and be in the world? You know, we ask our guests, like, what does that mean to you? And we absolutely can pose that question. But when I read that, I was kind of like, man, in some ways, that's it. Like, that's it. That's in it. Yeah, that's what my answer would be. Yeah, for sure. That's it, right? Like, the little piece that's what I yeah it's such a great title because it's the little piece right it's not the like giant you know giant steps to more good it's like the you know it's that and it's like whatever that good is too right I mean that's what's interesting about us being able to talk is like sure art might not be your thing right but all of the context and all the ways that whatever your jam is whatever your thing is it's like that little those little bits they stack up right and then that's where we get the nourishment right so whatever your whatever your call is right yeah well, Rachel, um, I love I love your book. I love the holistic approach of, of fusing and integrating both art and, and mindful practices. I think uh, this is more of what the world needs, and this is you know Dean and I have have high hopes of, of a world that kind of embodies much of, of what you share in the book. And I think I truly think we need these holistic kind of multi-perspective approaches to get where we need to go and 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 your book gives a beautiful 
intentional mindful toolkit for us to kind of explore with that eyes open, you know, full of possibility approach to life. So um, I'm grateful for for the work that you're doing. I'm excited to continue to follow, uh, whether it's another book or some nature installations. Um, I'm excited to see what awaits you in the, the, the journey of the unknown, you know? Mm-hmm. So thank you for, for what you create, for sharing it with all of us to see, to model what's possible. And, uh, we know that presence and time is, is the greatest, uh, currency. So, so grateful for, for you today, Rachel. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much. Onward friends. What a goal you have. It's so, so great to be grateful to be a part of it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There you have it, friends. Uh, I hope that there was something that really resonated with you from Rachel's work, from the stories she shared, from her practices, from her own journey. Um, Be sure to pick up her book wherever you grab your books, Creating Stillness by Rachel Rose, Mindful Art Practices and Stories for Navigating Anxiety, Stress, and Fear. Something um, that we could all use for sure, more practices to help those, those feelings as they come. And if something in this episode stood out to you, you liked it, let us know. Leave us a review. Uh, You can mention this particular episode. The other thing is uh, it would go a really long way if you could share this with a friend. Send it in a text, a DM, whatever it is. Uh, Let them know that you enjoyed this episode. Let them know maybe there's something for them in this. Uh, The best way to promote the podcast is share it by word of mouth, whether it's directly to a friend, on your Insta story, TikTok, wherever you do your social medias. Tag us. We're on all those things. Leave us a review. We appreciate it. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your attention. And um, yeah, support our sponsors as well. That helps us out. And keep tuning in. We really appreciate it. Thank you for being here. All right. Until next week. Stay good, y'all. Peace.